Welcome to Season 1 of American Political History, Roanoke. As we begin working through American history, I must ask that we filter the way we look at history. We know the outcomes, so it seems inevitable. But the risk to those starting new colonies was very real. Those setting out for a new world didn't know if they would survive, and for the most part, they did not. Many nameless people died before ever reaching North America, and many died while trying to start English settlements in North America. The English crown was very interested in starting their own colonies in the Americas. As Spain had shown the European nations of the 16th century, colonies could be unthinkably profitable, and charters were the political tool to accomplish this goal. The first settlement in 1583 was Newfoundland's seasonal port of St. John's, which would not become a permanent settlement until around 1630, and because of its harsh, cold climate, St. John's population would remain scarce for years. In 1584, Walter Raleigh was granted a charter by Queen Elizabeth to establish a permanent colony somewhere south of Newfoundland and north of Spanish-controlled Florida. But this task must be done before 1591, or Raleigh would lose his charter. A charter typically lasted a duration of time, giving the owner of the charter legal and economic monopolies over the geographic area. But starting colonies cost a lot of money up front so the charter holder would negotiate subterms for investors in these colonial adventures. Something like a hundred pound investment could get you a hundred or a thousand acres of good farmland later, or perhaps an allotment of furs without taxation. In 1584, Raleigh sent an expedition to what is today North Carolina to establish friendly relations with the Succotan nation. The Amadas Barlow expedition was a success, even returning with two natives, Juan Chiz, a Succotan, and Mateo, a Croatan, who both came as a sign of mutual trust and to learn English language and culture. Raleigh embellished the reports, saying that the new lands were a new Eden. After all, he was always selling for potential new investors. Queen Elizabeth was so impressed, she knighted Sir Raleigh, who immediately used his new knighthood to look for more prestigious and lucrative investors in his settlement plans. And in honor of his queen, he called the new territory Virginia, after the unmarried, presumed, virgin Queen Elizabeth. A year later, in 1585, the first Roanoke settlement was established in Virginia. Remember, that to the English of this time, Virginia was everything between Newfoundland and Florida. Roanoke is in the Carolinas today. The goal of this colony was to build a fort and further the trade ties that had already been established with the friendly Succotan and Croatan nations, and, of course, to prospect the possibility of natural resources, looking for gold and silver and copper. The Roanoke settlement located itself on a sandy coast in a strategically sound position against any Spanish ships. After all, Spanish ships had standing orders to destroy any non-Spanish settlement in the Americas. That was because the Pope had decreed in 1493 that the Spanish could colonize all territory 100 miles west of the Erzos Islands, which was an island group in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. This decree gave the Spanish all land rights in the New World except the easternmost parts of Brazil, the Portuguese received everything east of the Arizos. This would include eastern Brazil, Africa, and sea trade rights with Asia. 
any English settlement in the Americas was considered an act of encroachment on Spain's divinely mandated rights, and they would react by killing any population of non-Spanish European settlers they found. But this decision to build the settlement so close to the ocean would plague the colony from the start. Salt water of the ocean would leach into the ground and turn their drinking water continually brackish. Natural food on the coast could only be harvested inconsistently from the beaches, making them more dependent on trading with natives for steady food supplies. And there was a final oversight that we might consider major today. That was the oversight of hurricanes. But you have to remember that the English settlers had no idea about the nature of hurricanes or their regularity or that they routinely hit the same coastal regions of Southeast America. The Roanoke settlers did have good relations with the Succotan nation and received aid as the settlement would immediately begin to struggle. The colony would struggle because of an unheralded thing today. But very much an issue in that time was the seasoning of European settlers to America. This is not the seasoning of pots and pans, but the seasoning to the new world climate and its biome. Although in the 17th century the disease interchange of the two worlds would be worse overall for the native nations of America, approximately 25-30% to 30% of Europeans would die within two years of living in the new world. This would become known as the seasoning, or that someone was seasoned to the new world. In June 1586, still waiting for relief supplies from England that had no guarantee to arrive, Governor Lane decided to abandon the settlement and return to England with Captain Drake's pirate fleet. Drake's fleet had happened to be passing by after plundering Spanish settlements in the Caribbean. Lane would return to England with tobacco, corn, and potatoes. Such fanciful new produce would be headline news in London, and it covered up yet another failed permanent English colony. Sir Walter Raleigh in England would spin these new discoveries as the next necessary step for permanent English settlement in North America. But his continued failure would strain his reputation in court, and after all, a chartered knight's role was to bring discovery of new territory and establish new colonies, and, and most importantly, to start bringing back wealth for the crown. It, it would have been more strategic to relocate the next settlement, but Sir Raleigh's ego got staked in Roanoke. He had boasted publicly he could succeed. A second attempt was slated the next year, regardless of any pesky details about an ill-conceived location for human settlement. When the first settlement had evacuated with Drake's fleet the year before, those missing resupply ships arrived a few weeks later. Finding out about the English evacuation from the Croatan, they left 15 men to guard the fort to technically continue Sir Raleigh's claim of a permanent settlement in Virginia. The second set of settlers would arrive in July of 1587, and they were supplied with three ships of goods and over a hundred settlers, including women and children. Unfortunately, relations with the natives would quickly sour over two issues. The first was that the second settlement would hear from the Succotan that the other local nation had attacked and killed those 15 guards left by those supply ships. The colony would mount a quick retaliatory attack, but they would mistakenly attack and kill Croatan, who had nothing to do with the attacks on those guards. This isolated the settlement from further good relations with the Croatan. The other major issue was the first settlement had spread European disease to local nations, including the Succotan. The death from those diseases had affected the Succotan's available labor, 
and that loss of labor had caused lower crop yields that year. The Succotan became a lot less interested in trading food with the English, and the second colony had planned entirely on depending on local native food supplies. The leaders in Roanoke read this unwillingness of the Succotan to trade as actions indicating hostility and unwillingness to share with friends. They thought the Succotan were taking advantage of their starvation to raise prices and extort them for more trade goods. With all the relations with local nations soured, the settlement was in a lot of trouble. As supplies diminished, Governor White would leave in August of 1587 for England to request more supplies. He was leaving his only child and granddaughter in Roanoke. Governor White would be haggard by misfortune from the moment he left. As previously discussed in 1588, that was the year of the Spanish Armada and war with Spain would continue until the Treaty of 1604. The Queen had a standing edict that no ship was to leave England while the threat of the Spanish Armada remained. White would eventually get passage back without additional supplies on a boat in 1590, almost four years later. This English pirate ship would drop him off in Roanoke after pirating the Spanish in the Caribbean. And this is the moment where history and politics of the time are hard to separate. The official story is that the village of Roanoke seemed abandoned with all valuables missing. White spends more time in the report talking about his favorite chest of goods being missing and clearly plundered than anything about his family. From all historical documents, White was devastated by the loss of his family and he died a nondescript life of depression. Yet, didn't mention them. But key evidence in the official report is too good to be true. He supposedly found a symbol carved into the tree, and, and this symbol was supposed to be part of a pre-planned message that was to be left if the settlers decided to move to and with the Croatoan village about 25 miles away. No other English colony ever planned or did this type of move-in with natives. Then instead of investigating the symbol, bad weather stopped them from sailing a few miles to the Croatoan village. You're trying to tell me, that a man left his family, fought in court for years, traveled thousands of miles back, found a sign specifying where his family was located, and then he just left. Or, it would have been highly embarrassing for a knight in the royal court, Sir Raleigh, to have so directly failed at completing the queen's request for a settlement a second time. And it would be easy for his opponents in court to point out that it was because of his failed leadership that the settlement was hastily rebuilt with a poor location and properly prepared. This would draw into question Sir Raleigh's leadership, skill, and rights to a very valuable charter that many of his peers coveted. Sir Raleigh would have other expeditions later in Virginia that would travel within miles yet make no inquiries with the Croatoan. Which leads me to believe he already knew the answer about Roanoke. Also, White would never seek to make a return trip to find his family or any inquiries about them. As if in this first trip, he already learned of the evidence of their finality. Both men would act as if the mark on the tree was that of a symbol of total slaughter of the colony. Yet, it would be spun into a yarn of possible survival. I will simply use their reactions to look past the politics and presume the assumption that everyone died in Roanoke and they knew it. And looking at other cases of native war tactics, native nations would have simply guarded the perimeter of the settlement out on a sandy beach 
attacked any small groups that left the settlement and forced them back into the fort to starve, which was on an island with poor food and water supplies. It would not have taken very long. And in the end, the natives could have simply walked into the fort, taken any survivors, if there were any, as slaves, and looted the fort of its goods. It is also possible they successfully assaulted the settlement. In either case, White would have known the truth when he visited, stopped the investigation, and returned to England to never return. Sir Raleigh would have spun the report for PR, and then, because he knew the answer was bad for him, never investigated it any further. Regardless of my speculation into what one historian called the Area 51 of the 17th century, a place where every good conspiracy goes to be nurtured, what we do know is that the last contact with Roanoke was August 27, 1587, when Governor White left. There has been no signs of survivors ever since. And the best information past this point was from the Powhatan chief near Jamestown, who a generation later said that he had heard through the grapevine that Roanoke had been raided and sacked by local nations. And that, to me, is the final word on this subject. Thank you for listening to this episode of American Political History. If you want to support the show, please subscribe and leave a five-star rating. And share this show with someone you think would enjoy listening. Thank you again, and until next time.